Welcome to my podcast, Patient First. I'm Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon with 17 years of surgical experience. As the scientific convener of the Non-Surgical Symposium and a former president of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, my goal is to help patients navigate the complex world of both surgical and non-surgical aesthetics, but by understanding what is evidence and what is not. This, I hope, is going to help them realize their aesthetic goals safely and in a manner consistent with good clinical practice. This podcast is an extension of that legacy. My aim is to empower you to make the most educated decisions about your choices concerning your face and body aesthetics and your safety. Each episode, I will be bringing to you cutting-edge science and exploring surgical procedures in a modern, evidence-based approach to aesthetics. Plus, I will be inviting some esteemed guests in my podcast in the future to offer new perspectives. Tune in each week as together we explore the next frontier of surgical and non-surgical aesthetics. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to the podcast, Patient First. I am Dr. Naveen Samaya, your host. I'm an Australian registered specialist plastic surgeon. And in this episode, I'm delving into a topic that's become increasingly important to me and my patients, the relationship between plastic surgery and longevity. Like everything else on this podcast, we are taking a science-first approach and sharing research-backed innovations in this space. In the interest of full disclosure, as mandated by the Australian Health Regulator, my name is Dr. Naveen Samaya. I'm a registered medical practitioner and a specialist plastic surgeon, specialist registration in surgery, and my field of specialty is plastic surgery. My APRA registration number is MED. Triple zero double one eight nine double eight nine. I wish to advise listeners that information in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute formal medical advice. Any surgical or invasive procedure does carry risk. You should seek a second opinion from an appropriately qualified health practitioner and surgical outcomes do vary and what is experienced by one patient need not necessarily be experienced by another patient. So let's delve deep and dive right in with this podcast. As a plastic surgeon, I encounter patients who are interested in having procedures to enhance their appearance and reverse their aging features that has accumulated over the years. Whether it is a modality that requires surgery, whether it is a treatment option that requires non-surgical interventions or skin care, it is all an integrated modality that patients do engage with. And it is the same group of patients who are very aware of their aging process who end up looking for anti-aging solutions. And when we deal with groups of patients who are in a quest to find out more information, the scientist in me will always go looking for high-end research, cutting-edge research to see what is out there. Yes, it is not a part of plastic surgery, but it is very much a cousin or sitting on the 
close proximity of plastic surgery because the needs of the patient who goes through plastic surgery can also be met with other modalities such as longevity and anti-aging. And that is what sparked my interest. So on reading about these anti-aging modalities, one thing was very clear. There is a lot of research being done, but in terms of what research can be translated into applications on a daily basis, it's not very clear. So in other words, there is a gray zone and it is a research is happening at a pace that is quite remarkable. And I'm positive in the next five to 10 years time, we'll have a lot more things that is now seen as an optional extra become pretty much mainstream. It also, I'd like to share with you some of the experience as well as observed in a group of patients who might treat. It's a genetic condition called lipedema, which is a fat production and fat storage disease. And unfortunately, these patients look like they have the standard obesity, but it is actually a different metabolic pathway. And uh, in treating lipedema patients, it was very apparent to me that patients of lipedema patients have had significant metabolic derangements within their metabolism that needed to be addressed by very specific therapeutic modalities and surgery being one of them. So in treating this group of patients, I became very interested in, in the pathway called metabolic health. And this is a very important pillar of longevity and cellular health because it is what happens to your body internally that unfortunately you see the signs all over your body, in your skin, in your other general well-being, so on and so forth. So the metabolic health, which is a emerging concept, which I'm positive in the next five to six years will become very much a part of the mainstream, is an essential part of longevity because it deals with how your body responds to ingested food, how the metabolic markers go up and go down in response to glucose, in response to what dietary fats you consume, whether the food sources are plant-based or animal-based, and how the hormones internally um, interact with the food. And slowly but surely, as you progress through age, things tend to deteriorate little by little in the same way as a 30-year-old body is different to a 40-year-old body and a 50-year-old body. So it's very important for all of us to be aware of the important metabolic pathways that get deranged by choices of food, choices of lifestyle, or things that you do, things that you don't do. Uh, ignore your nutrition, ignore your health. And how does that link to plastic surgery is because no matter what you put into your mouth and your stomach shows up on your skin. So it is very important for us to look at skin health to complement plastic surgery. But if you take a level beyond that and go a bit deeper, what we're finding it, it is good for you to look at what you eat, how much you eat, the type of food you eat. Do you get a good response to certain foods and a dietary control and a nutritional uptake of an optimum diet will also help your skin, which is very important from a plastic surgery point of view. Because no matter how good a facelift you perform or a rigidectomy or a facelift you perform, if the skin quality is not very good, the results will show. If the skin quality is excellent, it'll complement your surgical intervention to the face.
When you consider plastic surgery around the face, especially eyelids or a face surgery, in the discussion I have with my patients, it's important to define and separate two issues that contribute to your aging process. The first one is your intrinsic aging, that is your genetically mediated aging. So your bony structure will change based on your genetic makeup. And we usually tell patients that if you look like your mom or your dad, you will age like your mom or your dad. But then if you also live in a city like Sydney, where you have an extraordinary amount of sun exposure and free radical induced damage, your skin will age more than a skin that does not live in a sunny city like Sydney. And that is a very important feature because the skin will show up, as we say, classic three features of aging. The first one being fine lines, the second one being redness or inflammation, and the third one being uneven pigmentation. And all these three things occur in response to sun damage. And uh, as a consequence, each one of these features will give an independent third party who's looking at your face an impression that you're 5 to 15 years older than, say, if you did not have those skin issues. So it goes back to basic, to looking after your skin or caring for your skin is an essential part of plastic surgery. And I advise my patients that this is a very critical part. And in my practice, I have a dermal clinician who can look after your skin, both in preparation towards your procedure and also as a part of maintenance of the work and skin health post-procedure. And this is a very good integrated way of looking after your skin because uh, the skin will continue to age in response to your life, your lifestyle, what you do, what you don't do, what you eat, what you don't eat, what nutrition you take, what you don't take. And I think it is a very important concept for everyone to understand, and I make it very clear to all my patients, this is very important in the context of facial surgery. Now, when I deal with my professional colleagues locally, internationally, and from different parts of the world, when we interact at uh, meetings and conferences, it becomes very evident that everyone is moving towards what is called as an integrated model of care, because we understand that each one has got a specialist focus. There is a lot of science that is backing each intervention so that the patient is ultimate beneficiary. And again, coming back to my previous podcast of a patient-centric focus of care, you have to consider collaboration. And this is what I do. And we we always encourage our patients to consider if there is an expert in this field, we would recommend that the patient consider that expertise to enhance the outcomes, enhance the results. Because as much as a surgery is effective, maintenance of the results is equally important. One of the commonest questions I get asked as a plastic surgeon is what supplements should I take from a longevity perspective or an anti-aging perspective? Now, I tell my patients that uh, before you consider supplements, let's look at all the other things that you can do to help your overall health and thereby enhance your metabolism. Now, these are all very old-fashioned simple things that have somehow been ignored over the many years. But with emerging science and research, we are finding that these things are now front and center. The first and the most important thing is to look at the food that you eat. Ultra-processed food, 
high sugar content, high quality carbs, uh, gluten are all things that will somehow interact in a negative way than in a positive way. So trying to control that would be the first thing. The second important thing is to consider the role of fasting. I know intermittent fasting is a big thing now, but the simple act of fasting, in other words, sparing your body from processing food all the time, is actually seen shown to be useful, efficacious, and adding to your better metabolic health profile. Now, interestingly, the research that uh, came out of the United States uh, showed that if you look at people based on their weight, society assumes that if you're an ideal weight, you should be healthy. But metabolic health research confirmed that is not to be the case because but a significant proportion of patients who are ideal weight patients who in the old measure would be seen as the epitome of health, but were metabolically unhealthy. But that proportion increases if you become overweight or if you become obese. So these are all very uh, strong data-driven decisions that you have to factor in. So it comes back to looking at your underlying metabolic profile and see how your glucose spikes with every food intake. What is your insulin response? Do you have an insulin resistance? Do you have a glucose tolerance? And what is your lipid profile status? Because a lot of people may have dyslipidemia without realizing they have dyslipidemia before you actually do a test. And unfortunately, if you have low levels of uh, metabolic issues, they tend not to be symptomatic till quite some time. And that's been my experience looking after certain patients. So we would recommend that having a understanding of stress, understanding of better sleep patterns, a good diet. And the big thing about this gut health and immune health. Now, when you talk about immune health, it is very important to bring in the role of the lymphatics that play a critical role in your body. Now, lymphatics is a structure system in your body that moves fluid from point A to point B, but also is very important in maintaining in your immune function and immune health. And uh, this is a system that has been ignored by modern medicine, but if you look at the traditional forms of medicine, they place a lot of emphasis on lymphatic system and lymphatic health. So things that move your lymphatic health keep you in a better immune status. So the classic example of getting your lymphatics moving is to keep moving. In other words, engage your muscles and keep moving. So I'm sure all of you have heard the word sitting is a new smoking. And what they mean by sitting is a new smoking is not because your heart is not pumping. It's because your lymphatics don't move and the fluid does not propel. So as a consequence, there's a lot of stasis in the body about the lymphatic sluggishness due to inactivity. And as a consequence, there is health consequences that unfortunately target the metabolic health profile of the patient. So in plastic surgery, as a routine response to every surgical procedure, you get swelling and fluid. Whether you do an eyelid surgery, whether it is surgery on the face, surgery on the nose, surgery on the tummy, the breast, or surgery to remove fat, liposuction. Now, as a routine, you get the swelling that lasts from anything from two to three to six weeks and gradually come down. During that time, there is a lot of focus on lymphatic movement, lymphatic massage to get the fluid down, to fast track the healing, help resolve the swelling, which is an essential and integral part of getting a patient's response uh, to surgery uh, improvised. 
Now, this is a traditional form of lymphatic health focus that comes back and ties very well with the longevity discussion that we've mentioned in this podcast. So if you find a way of keeping your lymphatics moving on a daily basis as a routine of your day-to-day life, uh, you can reap the benefits. The two commonest examples of good exercise that predominantly targets the lymphatic system, the two popular forms of exercise, namely yoga and Pilates. And these two, because of their combination of muscle activity, muscle stretch, and quote-unquote muscle squeezing due to the contraction, coupled with deep breathing, ensures that the lymphatic system gets quote-unquote a good workout and the benefits are there, there to see. And I've seen this with my patients who've had, who've been practitioners of yoga for many, many years, have managed to be in a very peak health performance throughout. And what I've observed, and this is something that uh, you may have observed too, is there is a relationship between the three systems, and I'll name the three systems. There is a muscular system, there is a lymphatic system, and there's a fat system. These three crosstalk, these three interact, these three combined to give you the best health. And in, in a way, it is they all have to be in sync, in balance. If your muscle activity is low, your fat activity tends to go up and your lymphatic health is not great. Whereas if your muscle activity is high, your lymphatic activity is more and your fat tends to come down. That is why if you observe people who are regular practitioners of yoga or Pilates, you can also see that they have a better approach to managing the weight, managing the fat. And this is what we have seen in a lot of our patients who have taken up yoga. And there's plenty and plenty of scientific evidence to support it. When I consult with patients who are interested in a plastic surgical procedure, part of the discussion we have is what are the impediments to healing? What are the factors that can impact your healing and influence your surgical results? It becomes very apparent that if the patient is in a very stressful situation for personal reasons, for reasons for the job, or generally a very anxious person, these stressors in life can impact and will impact your response to surgery, response to the healing process, which will then impact the outcome. In the context of longevity, a stressors are seen as a phenomenon that impacts your health, your well-being, and on that extension, also your longevity. And these are very complex responses that the body has to get used to, often with a high degree of uh, circulating cortisol, which we all know is a good hormone at small levels, but when it is in excess, it puts everything out of sync and creates an imbalance that deranges your metabolic health profile. So all the stresses that we see and a stress-induced life or lifestyle is seen as an unhealthy option, mainly because of the derangements it has at the hormonal level, which in turn translate into metabolic derangements, which has impacts on the cell, the systems, the immune system, which ultimately impacts longevity. So yes, what we start off the discussion by acknowledging stress and how it can impact uh, my results from uh, surgery. I also tell patients that in the long term, these are things that you need to address with the help of professionals or experts in that field. And this is how we 
focus on a patient-centric approach to plastic surgery, but the benefits of the consultation will translate well beyond what we uh, advise them in the immediate post-operative period. Talking about life and lifestyle changes that you need to focus on in terms of better health and wellness and longevity, sleep is a very important part of good health. And everyone who has understood sleep science and sleep medicine will tell you that that is a very critical part. The magic number is eight hours of sleep. There are a lot of people who can, can happily sleep more than eight hours and enjoy that sleep, but it's important for everyone to have a good night's rest. The important physiological things that happen during sleep is it's only recently, within the last six to seven years, the brain was found to have lymphatic supply. Until then, it was assumed that the brain did not have any lymphatics. So what happens is the metabolites produced in the brain as a consequence of activities of being awake do tend to drain at night, do tend to replenish during sleep. And that's how when you wake up after a good night's sleep, you're refreshed because the chemical composition that's occurred as a result of the rest and the uh, quote-unquote recharging of lymphatics keeps you ready for the next day. And it's a well-known fact for all of us who have taken exams and all of us have given advice about how to prepare for exams. We usually say, have a good night's sleep the night before because your neural networks need to recharge on the day of the examination for you to recollect data points that you have studied a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago. If your brain has got an environment that is quite unsettled due to a lack of sleep or sleep deprived, then it is unlikely to function very well. Just like your engine of a car will not function with an old oil, it needs a fresh new change of oil. And that's kind of a simple way of looking at how sleep will impact the brain. The other thing that sleep and diet and metabolic health, it's very important to consider, but I'm not an expert by any means, but these are points that we have learned from research and seen it in our patients who have got deranged metabolic health. The sleep introduces a circadian rhythm that is critical for a human being's existence. Now, eating closer to your sleep time has been shown to be not the best health option. So people recommend not eating for at least two hours. And some people even say up to three to four hours before you sleep, you shouldn't have any food because your body doesn't want to be busy trying to process or digest the food when it is meant to be resting and calming down. So that is something that people need to factor into the life and lifestyle if you want to focus on metabolic health and in turn focus on longevity to make small changes meaningful changes that have big impacts later on in life. So you, there's multiple genetic methods on genes that control your longevity and aging. And researchers have studied many genes to say, what is a gene that the people who are centenarians have? There is a gene called FOXO, FOXO. And some of the things that help support the FOXO gene is activities that are just mentioned like uh, good exercise, calorie restriction, and uh, intermittent fasting. These all will enhance the function of the FOXO gene. And then you can continue to take supplements that uh, a lot of companies promote, saying that our supplements will support the FOXO gene. But then you suddenly get the message that, yes, there are three or four things that you can do, which you should do, which will have a much more bigger impact than something else. In other words, you can 
take supplements as an add-on option, but it cannot replace basic stuff like a good, healthy nourishment and uh, nutritious food, good sleep patterns, role of intermittent fasting or fasting as, as and when you feel it's important, and a lower calorie intake and a predominantly plant-based food intake. What I've observed in the course of my career as a plastic surgeon is um, patients when they decide to go on a diet with an attempt to lose weight. The diet generally is a very restrictive pattern of eating. In other words, the entire focus of a diet is on calories and restriction of calories. And that shouldn't be the case. Yes, calorie restriction is important, but more importantly, it is the nutritional restriction that occurs as a part of the calorie restriction that will lead you to a constant nutritionally depleted status, which is neither metabolically healthy or healthy for you and will impact your health and longevity in the long term. So what we see this pattern is very common because the entire world can give you advice about diet and weight loss and weight gain, and everyone feels that they are an expert. But what people do not really realize is your body is very complex. Your body needs to be integrated. And having a nutritionist assess you, your nutritional profile, before you go on any kind of weight loss journey is important. Because once you start losing critical elements of minerals such as copper, such as magnesium, such as vitamin D, vitamin B12, your metabolic profile will change. And then your traditional methods that you use to lose weight may not no longer be effective. So this is something that you do not want this to be a blind spot. This should be front and center. It needs to be addressed with the help of professionals. Now, coming back to if you have a nutrition deficiency, do you need to take supplements? That's a very good question I get asked all the time. What I tell patients is it's important for you to know what deficiencies you have and how to go about treating them. Yes, nutritional supplements are very important, but at the same time, your food does have a lot of nutrition in it in a form that is very user-friendly. In other words, the bioavailability of nutrition in normal food is actually quite good. But if you have a medical deficiency, it's important for you to supplement. So ultimately, what you're trying to achieve is to maintain a good metabolic profile, a good metabolic health, which in turn translates to better health overall and longevity as well. I often get asked a question, what um, podcast should I listen to in terms of uh, metabolic health and anti-aging? Where would be good resource? I enjoy listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman's podcast. And I also enjoy listening to the Metabolic Link, also called the Metabolic Health Summit podcast, where they delve into practical, useful, user-friendly information, all based on strong scientific evidence. So these are two good podcasts that uh, you could, uh, if anyone of you are interested, you're welcome to listen to those podcasts. Uh, the other book that I loved reading recently was a book called The Glucose Revolution. That is a very easy reading book. Tells you what happens when you put a morsel of food into your mouth as soon as it hits the circulation. How does your glucose spike? And what are your practical tips that you can use and practical hacks to control the glucose spike? And this is a very useful book because it teaches you on a day-to-day basis how to control your spikes. Say, for example, if you and I ate a single banana, my spike may be different to your spike. And uh, if you look at a banana from a calorie point of view, it has identical calorie content. And hence, the 
health benefits to me and to you should be the same, but not necessarily true because when you eat a banana, your spike is different, my spike is different, the insulin response that kicks in soon after that's different in both of us, and that will have a long-term impact on your metabolic health and hence your overall health. When we talk about supplements for anti-aging, I feel that all of these came about researching metabolic health and metabolic diseases such as diabetes. And in the treatment of diabetes, every medical student will know that the drug called metformin is an essential part of diabetic uh, treatment. But what has happened over the many, many years is metformin now is being used as a drug not only to control your diabetes and sugar and your general metabolic health, but it is also used as a drug for quote-unquote an anti-aging profile because it's been shown to act through the MTOR pathway and that's what everyone is talking about now. I think in the context of um, supplements for anti-aging, we have seen that initial research into metabolic health and subsequently diabetes have um, led to metformin being used as a drug for anti-aging. Now, this is a byproduct of uh, uh, the metabolic research, and I uh, just wish to state that I'm not a doctor of longevity uh, medicine, nor am I a doctor of uh, endocrine speciality. But I'm in this case, I'm a student, and I look at all the observations that are around, all the evidence that is coming through, and the uh, interest of uh, the scientific community in uh, recommending metformin as a drug. And I think globally, this is a drug that's been used a lot for improving your metabolic health profile significantly and the anti-aging benefits that come from improving your metabolic health. So when, when I see patients for a plastic surgical procedure, assessing your overall health, well-being, how you're going to go through an operation, do you have the capacity to heal? Is it something that we need to optimize before the surgery is running through my mind? And we take every detailed care with extensive blood testing to ensure that there is no risk of things that can potentially go wrong. But more importantly, if there's any deficiencies that can slow down your healing and thereby impact the outcome, we tend to optimize uh, that preoperatively. So in terms of the well-known entities that help the healing process, it's vitamin C is a very good uh, uh, supplement to take. And there are both natural ways of consuming vitamin C with uh, all the colorful and the tasty fruits. And uh, also therapeutic supplementation of vitamin C is an essential part of the surgical journey. Now, vitamin B complex, also known as niacinamide, has a specific role in skin pathology because research from Sydney Uni has shown that it is very useful in reducing your sun-related skin damage, thereby reducing the risk of a non-melanoma skin cancer in the range of 10 to 15% by taking a single capsule once a day. So when I see patients who've either had a skin cancer or skin cancer uh, treatment, we recommend this research paper and say, look, Evidence has shown that taking a 500 milligram of vitamin B3 capsule, which is a nutritional supplement from a pharmacy, is not a prescription medication, uh, has been shown to improve your overall skin health. And patients who also go on that also 
tend to notice some skin improvement. Very hard to quantify what exactly it is, but it goes to show that there's a whole heap of goodness that vitamin B3 does to your skin, that patients who have had a skin concern who come to see me see the benefits. So I've been a plastic surgeon for the last 17 years, and we have seen a lot of changes. And when I'm talking to my patients now, compared to what conversations I used to have with my patients when I first started practice, there is a general change in the overall perception and how receptive patients are to general health or supportive conversations. Now, we talk about optimizing your health with an intent of getting the best outcome from your surgery and patients happy to engage in that conversation. But then when we talk about how best you can maintain your results after the surgery, I find a big change in how patients are responding now compared to what patients did respond many, many years ago. Now, a lot of things have changed in the last 10 years. The link between what you eat, how much you eat, when you eat, and the quality of the food, the role of the processed food, the inflammation in the body, the importance of sleep, stress, sun protection, skin health, all these things have made headlines repeatedly around the globe. Multiple books have become bestsellers. People are now following people on Instagram who are all experts in different fields. So the general awareness is quite high. And when you tell people about nutrition, when you tell people about sleep, when you tell people about supplementation to increase your optimize your outcomes following surgery, patients, I feel, are now much more receptive than what they were, say, 15, 16, 17, 20 years ago. With the pace of research going, with the pace of progress going, the pace of awareness going in the world, and access to information happening 24-7, as plastic surgeons and practitioners within the aesthetic space, I have an obligation, duty, and a role to be future-focused and ahead of the time. By that, I mean that I have to be aware of what is happening. I have to correlate my observations with scientific data. I have to be looking for new scientific evidence so that we can integrate in a very meaningful evidence-based way so that our patients are the ultimate beneficiaries. At this point, it is very important that I bring about the notion of the non-surgical symposium. This meeting epitomizes what I've just said. It is a integrated approach because care is no longer isolated. Care now is multidisciplinary. Care is now integrated. So if you want to have a very patient-friendly, a very patient-centric focused patient advantages care, there is a role for integration, a role for multidisciplinary collaboration. And this is what the non-surgical symposium is all about. Because when we realize that the problem can be solved in more ways than one. And each one looks at the problem from one perspective and adds their little pearl, collective pearls add to the benefit of the patient's results and outcomes. So this is kind of a very important concept going forward for those who are in the aesthetic space to realize that the scientific world around aesthetics is rapidly growing which you're unable to keep pace with it. So you are better off collaborating with like-minded professionals who have also but nothing but the best interest of the patient at heart and collectively, collaboratively give the patients the best possible outcome. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And I'm sure you may have been surprised to see me, a plastic surgeon, talk about longevity and anti-aging.
Now, as I mentioned before, that I'm not an expert or a doctor of longevity or anti-aging, but I cannot help but observe what is happening in my industry of plastic surgery and facial aesthetics. And longevity is the very close to this industry and with expanding scientific research and scientific research coming to the mainstream, it is not long before we'll have evidence-based recommendations, evidence-based professionals who practice this stream that is going to add value to the patient-centric approach that we propose through all modalities of treatment, whether it is surgical, whether it is non-surgical. Thank you for joining me on this important episode. I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode where I will be talking about the science of skin care as well as the science of the care of skin. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Patient First. I hope you found this podcast useful. Remember, I'm always listening. And if you have any questions you would like me to answer on the show or upcoming episodes, please connect with me via my clinic website. Thank you.